So I'm, I slid upside down for about 800 feet too after hitting, you know, my opponent next to me. I'm Brian Anderson. And I'm Bobby Fazio. And welcome to another edition of Class Racing Today podcast. We have another jam-packed episode this week. We had a bunch of racing going on around the country. And on top of all that, we have an excellent guest today, um, Brina Splinger out of Wisconsin is joining us today. Super stock racer, uh, GTF automatic, um, cobalt. All right. So Brian, it's going to be a great show. I already butchered the guest's name. I'm excited. And, um, that's why I decided to let you intro every episode. Uh, I put the L in the wrong spot. I'm sorry, Brina. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> did they, did, did the teachers always get that right on the first day of school for you? Oh, never. Mm-mm. I don't know why I said Splinger. Spingle, there, Splinger. I said it right. All right. Enough of that. My bad. Let's go into some results here. We had a lot of racing going on this weekend. Brian, did you watch anything this weekend? Or were you playing uh, in the snow? Yeah, you know, I'm just out driving around playing in the snow, enjoying the nice 18-degree weather and wishing I was in Vegas. Uh, yeah, me too. It's a pretty good racing down there. Brina, do you have snow where you are? Yeah, we just got about an inch, I want to say, last night. Um, and then earlier last week, we got a couple inches. Yeah. That means it's coming. It's coming toward me. Stay <laughs> near you. Okay. I'm hoping our is going to melt. Keep that snow. I don't want it over here. We don't have no room for it here. <clears throat> we flood when it drizzles for 10 minutes. So. All right. Where were we? We had a... Division 7 event in Las Vegas. We had that followed by a Jag Sports Nationals. So two races in one weekend. Got to love those. Makes a trip worth it. And then we had a national event down in Houston. So let's see what we got here. And the D7 event that took place Thursday and Friday in Vegas in stock, Justin Lamb and the factory stock D Camaro uh, won over Jeremy Romero. In Superstock, we had Brad Rounds in a Superstock B-Stock modified car. Um, he took the win over Brian Brossert, if I'm saying that correctly. And let's see. A couple interesting stories from that race, by the way. Now, off topic, off class, if you will. Just want to mention this. There's a guy in Super Street named Alan Bush who was coming from Erie, Illinois, the guy broke down on the side of the road. He sat on the side of the road for two days on the way to Vegas until he got his uh, rig fixed up. So he got there late Thursday night, and I think he might he got one cleanup run, and then he had to go into first round the next morning. So odds for him didn't look so great. I saw a lot of breakouts and things going on Super Street. The guy goes dead on with a zero and takes the Friday morning uh, first round win. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I just had to mention it here. So... Uh, Super Street, Alan Bush. Way to go, buddy. Don't know how he did the rest of the day. Um, a couple other interesting things there. John and John Irving, so J-O-N and J-O-H-N Irving, had to race each other. I don't know if they're father and son or if they're brothers. Maybe you guys know that one. Uh, maybe somebody out on Facebook knows that. They had to race each other, heads up, first round, for the third race in a row. So Superstock K Automatic, both of them. First round, 
they had to race each other. Not sure if it's a strategy. Not sure if it's by accident. Would love some feedback on that one. Um, Jeg Sports Nationals. They had to stop this one after too much wind and sand. Third round of stock was as far as they got. And I've had this happen before when I visited this track. Um, couldn't even fly into Vegas because of the wind, so I guess that's a common thing there. But just want to mention that this race will be continued at the divisional. It, so they have a national event at Vegas next week, and then the weekend after that, they have a divisional. So a lot of racing going on in Vegas for three weeks in a row. Um, Jody Lang and Kyle Rizzoli are still in stock after third round. They're both in the uh, top five in the national points in stock, so it's coming down to the wire. The heartbreaker on that race was uh, a friend of mine was running a comp, Doug Ingalls, second in the world. He goes up. Uh, I believe he got the got the starting line advantage. He's taken off and the, gets past the stands, and the wind just shoves the dragster like towards the wall, and he had to get out of it. So, Ugh. yeah, kind of a heartbreaker there. Oh, man. And then half hour later, they end the race. Like, how terrible would oh. that be? <laughs> That's Fazio luck right there. I'm sorry, Mr. Engels. Um, let's see. What else do we have? We had a we had a interesting heads up third round of stock before the race got canceled. Joe Sorensen and Mike Cotton F stock automatic. Sorensen is absolutely flying. Guy goes eleven oh three at 103 miles an hour, so he was on the brakes. Mike Cotton, who is you know I fast he goes 11 22 and he was on the brakes at 103 mile an hour and that's off of a 1205 uh vegas index so Sorensen's going 102 under out in that mountain air so that guy's making some killer power super stock talk about a killer package larry zavala um round one of super stock throws up a six pack against anthony bertozzi bertozzi went out to vegas i think to try and uh, further his better his chances of a uh, world championship so that that one hurt first round um larry zavala nice nice run and then we got to talk about what i'm i'm considering to be the upset of the week right here brian if you don't mind i was going to save this for a little later but second round of super stock tim i'm going to probably butcher this name tim schmackpfeffer Okay, he's got a 1965 Mustang stick shift 289, just like me, man after my own heart. Um, he was battling some issues all weekend. Uh, his trans was popping out of gear. You know, he he didn't get off the line in Q2. Uh, first round, his opponent broke in the burnout box, so he had a buy run there, and he, again, had some trouble getting off the line. So who does he get paired up against second round? Uh, only Mr. Killer himself, Brian Warner, guy who's number one in the national points. So, odds not looking too great for Tim. Well, as fate would have it, Tim cuts an 018 light, runs a 1098 on his 1103 dial. Brian Warner cuts an 059 light, which is very un-Warner-like, and runs a 1040 on a 1038 dial, and Tim gets the win. So, congrats on the upset of the week, Mr. Tim Schmackpfeffer, 65 Mustang, 289 stick shift screamer. Gotta love it. I know I love it. And last but not least, we have the Houston National event. In stock, Woody Gary in an A-stock automatic 70 Challenger takes the win over Wes Neely. And super stock, Gary Emmons. Would it, be a, it wouldn't be a national event in Texas if, if an Emmons didn't win something. So 
Gary Emmons, GTF Automatic, 05 Cavalier takes the win over Jeff Miller. Those Emmons, if I would hide on the ladder from an Emmons, anybody with the last name Emmons, if I was in the state of Texas. And a couple key key notes here in stock, David Latino and Brett Candies, both top five runners right now. They both lost in the first round of stock. So that I think you know, that's not good for their chances. Not sure how, how many races they have claimed already. So I don't know how much that helps or hurts them. Uh, Parker DeVore, who is currently number two in the points in the world, he made it to fifth round. So that may have helped him. Don't know if the points have been updated just yet. And then in Superstock, David Latino had to race Mark Nowicki first round. They're both top five. Actually, Nowicki's sixth now because Byron Warner passed him. So David Latino uh, was number two. He had to take on Nowicki first round, and um, he beat Nowicki first round, but then he lost in the second round. So I'm not sure how far Latino is going to advance in Superstock. I'm not sure how the points all how they've calculated out yet with the Vegas race, but it looks like there's like seven points between first and third place right now in the national. It is tight. Every round here is like crucial, crucial. Uh, I'm out of breath. Yeah, there's a lot happening, that's for sure. It's uh, I don't know. What are we going to do in a couple weeks when it's over? I don't know. What are we going to do? We're going to be bored. We'll have to, we'll have to get controversial, I guess. We have to make up for something that we forgot last podcast or another way to lose. We forgot to mention that, and I had it in my notes, and I think we got off topic because we were interviewing Gary Hampton, which was a lot of fun. But at the Dallas National event, so two weeks ago, uh, Lisa Stevenson in GTL Automatic in Superstock, she had a second round by a run and couldn't get the car started so she was then not able to run the by run couldn't stage the car under its own power as is the rule and lost in the by run so very sorry to hear that lisa stevenson and it qualified for our another way to lose a race brina right, what do you have brina have you had one of those like just like what's the worst way you've lost a race oh geez i don't know there's probably all, all different types of ways i don't think i've ever had a buy run though where my car wouldn't start that would be pretty bad um just had stupid things like you know wire comes off the starter it won't start you know just little stupid minute things happen yeah i, I remember reading an interview uh uh, what's that guy's name that runs the drag racing school? It's escaping me right now. And he lost the buy run because he got his two-step or trans brake didn't hold, and he got on it before the lights came down. So he said he never gets on his trans brake or two-step in a buy run until the first bulb blitz is lit. So when I had a buy run at the national event last year, that's all I was thinking. It probably totally ruined the buy run for me because all I kept thinking was, don't lose this buy run. Um, and look like an idiot. So, yeah. As soon as the top bulb comes on, get on your two-step or trans brake, and you are safe. Your wind light's already on. All right. It's a new question of the day. If you actually red light in a buy run, you still win, don't you? Absolutely. Okay. I red lit in my buy run. I, think I, I red lit in all of them or had a terrible light because the other guy's red light comes on, and it kind of messes me up. I thought driving a Ford is what messed you up most of the time. 
It does. <laughs> gotta say. Also gotta say, I've never seen such horrible brand loyalty. Did you ever see these guys now? Why is everybody running a Cobra jet now, Brian? Guys that run Pontiacs all their lives, Chevys all their lives, and you know they talk smack on Fords all their lives, because let's face it, Fords the worst. <laughs> and they all run a Cobra jets now. Brina, you don't have a Cobra jet yet, do you? No, so I actually drive or race Chevys, but I drive Fords. Like my actual street car has always been a Ford. So nice. <laughs> you would think I would be driving a Ford race car, but. <laughs> Do you ever get tired of walking? Oh, actually, I call my Ford Explorer the Ford Exploder because I've had so many problems with that thing and it was brand new. I was about to just, you know, just total that thing. I was done with it. Oh, uh, put it on the train tracks. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I had a map sensor go out at, uh, I think it was like 20,000 miles, and this wrench just come up on my dash, and I'm like, what in the world is this, right? And it starts slowing down, and I'm like, oh my god, my transmission's going bad, right? So I, I like found a Ford dealership about three miles away, and it took them four hours to scan my car to determine it was the map sensor. Oh, and I'm like, that wow. one little part, it went into like a limp mode. I'm like, really, at 20,000 miles, that little sensor went bad? But what are you going to do? Ouch. Okay, given a bad name to the Fords, I... It's okay to race with them, though, because it's over right away. Like, you should be able to get a quarter mile out of a Ford at any given time. <laughs> you guys make fun of Fords like it's... I'm the first to say, if somebody gives me a Cobra Jet, I'm there. I'll run it. You should be respecting us. Like, we're going into a, a track meet with a pair of Docksiders on. Like, we're, we're up for the challenge. There needs to be more of us. That's what I think. Or it's just like, the favorable horsepower ratings. Oh, God. And I, it's definitely not that. Oh, man. What was your first car, race car, Brina? Um, well, I, I started racing junior dragsters, but after that, I drove a dragster as my first, I guess, big car, you can call it. Mm. Oh, so you were before you started running class then, before you started running super yep. stock? Yeah, I used okay. to run super comp and super gas um, before then. So. Now, the first time I. I ran a Norwalk National event in 2011 and 12, and I think you and I were, like, next to each other in the lanes. Did you have a black Camaro or Firebird or something? Yeah. Yeah, I used to have a 2000 Pontiac Firebird. I've run super stock. And then um, after that, we sold that, and then I then we got my Cobalt. Okay. What? You like the Cobalt better? Yeah, it just seems to fit me a little bit more. Um, I'm about 5'6", so, you know, being in a smaller car just kind of fits my height and you know, feels feels pretty good. She's still taller than me, Brian. I think most people are. <laughs> yeah. Do you have LS1 in that Firebird or was it LT1? Um, in that one, there was a, uh, what was it in there one? A Chevy. It was a 400 small block. Okay. In that Pontiac, yep. I ran a GT with it. I thought maybe you were one of those people to blame for my excessive horsepower I've been hit with. Oh, no. <laughs> no, only on mine that I currently have now. You could blame me a little bit, but not a lot. <laughs> what's, in the, what's in the Cobalt, did she say? I run a 350 LT one. Okay. So it's the one that kind of got beat up over the years by a lot of people. Um, I think pretty much I'm the, I might be the only one running it now, so that's fine by me, because if anyone does any damage, it's all on, my, all on, all on me. Right. Who came Boy, up Brian, with she's in super stock. She can't hurt you. You're in stock, pal. Who came up with the name on that? I love that. Um. It was actually my dad's idea. Um, he had a friend that passed away a while back, and he used to have a car, or his friend had a car that said Chi-Town Shaker on it. So uh, he thought it'd be kind of a cool name for us since we're from the Chicago suburbs. So kind of keep it going. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. I kind of, I kind of, I'm so on the fence. Like, I like cars that have a name, like the color combination on that. But yet, I'm kind of an anti-sticker guy in the real world. So it's like, I'm torn between sticker or no sticker. But my car has had several names from, it started out as the Abomination because I'm a Mopar guy. And anyways, I got sucked into a Camaro. But, so it's either the Abomination and this year that it started working a little better. We just call it the dumb red car. <laughs> it started as the ugly red car but then i started actually going a few rounds now it's just the dumb red car so it's kind of a evolution i can't really that doesn't look good across the side of a side of the car so i can't name it yet i'm sure i'll think of something <laughs> brina how do you feel about i'm guessing route 66 was that your home track yeah, that whole deal. Um, it's a pretty, pretty much a, a shame of the, what's going to happen to it. Um, you know, that track's been open for over 20 years now. I remember going there, I think maybe when I was 12, I raced junior dragsters there and then, you know, continuously raced the nationals and divisionals every year after that. And it, I, in my opinion, I think it's one of the best facilities um, for drag racing in the country. And it's just such a shame that that place is going to be destroyed, you know, for uh, industrial, you know, warehouse facilities or, you know, housing. Um, and, and to think that, you know, another track is going away because you see so many tracks for sale or you see so many tracks just closing or being bought out and, and destroyed that like, you wonder what's happening to the sport of drag racing and where are these people going to continue to go, you know? I mean, with that one closed, I think Byron, I don't know if it's still for sale. That one's in Rockford, Illinois, um, Earlville's for sale. Um, so it's just like you hope when they sell that they actually continue to run. So um, I, don't, I don't know. It's kind of a shame what people will do, you know, have to travel a bit further. Yeah, I, I always wanted to go to that track. It looked so nice in the pictures. I've never had the chance to go. I always wanted to uh, run that uh, national event someday, and should have done it. Now I now I can't. That's kind of yeah, our soapbox. Oh, sorry, that's kind of our soapbox we've had here though. Is like there's so many tracks, and it's you know it's easy to gripe about. Oh, this was bad there. This was that was you know that was terrible, or they didn't have the lanes prepped, or the groove was too narrow. And at the end of the day, just like you hit it, like if we're gonna start losing tracks, all of a sudden you're gonna complain about driving eight hours, or you're just gonna give up the sport. I mean, you just it's it's a hard business to be in with rainouts and all this pandemic crap. I mean, it's it's just it'd be a hard place to run a business right now, and I really feel for the people that are out on the line doing it. You're absolutely right. And if you do have the chance to take advantage of going to a track next year and you're like on the fence about it, I'd say, you know, do it. I'm glad I, I went to some, you know, of the races that I went to when I, you know, if I would have thought harder and longer about it, I may not have, but I'm glad I, I've done things that I may not get the chance to do someday. Yeah, I know that's one of the things my dad and I were talking about is that our luck at Joliet probably hasn't been very good over the past couple of years. So when then, when they took it off the schedule, we didn't really feel bad about it because normally we have bad luck. So we said, okay, whatever, we, we're better off not going there. And then they closed it. So then you think, wow, you know, that's now gone. So, you know, you were once complaining about an opportunity, even if it was a bad experience, now you'll never get to race there again. So, How many tracks have you, like, how many different states have you raced in? Um, let's see, I've been in California, Nevada, um, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Kentucky, and Indiana. So quite a bit, not, not a ton, maybe 10. 
Yep. What did you say? Do you have a track on your bucket list? Like, which one do you want to go to? Um, I mean, I'd like to race my own car probably in Vegas and go to Pomona one year. Um, actually take my stuff and go out west. Um, whenever I did go, um, I was driving someone else's car. So I would just say probably, you know, going on that trip once um, in the fall and experiencing that. I mean, you guys know we get snow here. So, you know, to take that chance to leave in the fall, you know, you might hit snow possibly leaving, but you're probably definitely going to hit snow coming back. So it's just what, what to do if that happens, you know, a little dangerous. I think a guy just has to be nomadic <laughs> and just move south. You're like, oh, it's October. I'm going to go south for the for the winter and catch all the races. Yeah, if she was to go to the west, just leave it out, find a place to leave it. Don't even bring it back, and then just run the Winter Nationals, do the little Western Swing to start the year out, and then bring your stuff back. Notice she didn't say she wanted to come to the East Coast. I mean, it wasn't even wasn't even uttered <laughs> as part of the bucket list, as part of the real list. <clears throat> people like well, to go. I don't know. I mean, I've. Oh, <laughs> <Go> <laughs> sorry. I was gonna say people like to go to the East Coast for that last time slip. So when you're selling your car, say, "Hey, look how fast this is. It's easy to go fast on the East Coast. Come on, Bobby." <laughs> It's easy to go fast. Very difficult to go around. <laughs> well, I don't know. Talking about tracks closing, the East Coast has lost, I think, quite a bit, right, over the past year or two. Yeah, we lost English Town, which was my favorite national event. And um, ATCO is under the threat of being sold. So we're trying to find updates out on that. And Maple Grove was supposed to be sold to racers. We were looking forward to that because they had a lot of great plans for Maple Grove. Uh, don't know if you've ever been to that track, but that was my home track. It's only less than an hour from my house. And um, they were going to put, like, hotels, a little driving school, um, a water park. Like, they have all kinds of great ideas, but the sale fell through. So seeing where that goes now next year. Didn't you say there's a track that sells uh, ice cream by the pound? Maybe that should be, like... That would have to be an instant way to get spectators coming. Like, I'll go to that track. Norwalk, baby. Bader family. Yeah, that's a good one to go to. I was really disappointed, too, that they didn't have that this year either. What's your favorite track to race at? I'd have to say it's probably... I, I really enjoy going to um, Beach Bend Raceway Park in Bowling Green. Um, I mean, I like the heat, so I really like when it's hot. It doesn't really bother me. Um, but they have actually a water park, an amusement park right next to it. So um, sometimes, depending on how the schedule is, I'll run a time run on Saturday, and then me and my dad will go to the water park, and we'll actually go on the Lazy River and cool off, and then we'll come back, and we'll run first round in the evening. Um, so I always I just find it really in, uh, enjoying and relaxing and it's just a kind of a cool place to go race. And two, if you go look at the bleachers, it's really, they get a lot of fans that come out and the bleachers are real old school. They're all like old wood. Um, so it's just kind of neat to see how many people love drag racing still and the crowd that they get to a divisional race, not even a national event for all the people that come. That's one thing I'm hoping to experience. I've never really raced in front of a crowd yet. Uh, I was talking to Bobby about this the other day. Like, it seems like, you know, at least like at our association races at Emos or even the divisionals, like, Saturday, people, you know, there's a few people spectating, you know, there's what, maybe 100 people watching you go down the track when you're going rounds or, and that's pretty cool. Like, I couldn't imagine racing in front of 2,000, 3,000 people. That would, maybe it would just up the pressure and I'd really tank. I don't know what would happen. That's what I usually do. 
but it's still cool. Pull around that water box. I see all those people and just hope not to screw up too bad. <laughs> what's your, uh, speaking of screw ups, what's your, do you have like any, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I always struggle. It's hard to do on this on the radio. Like you have your perfect outline and then maybe it's just because I go off the rails all the time, but like, what's your protocol? How do you start? Do you, are you superstitious? Is there some things you have to have with you or some things you have to do before every race? Um, yeah, so I've kind of gotten a little bit more relaxed with this, but I'll wear the same style socks each day. Um, I'll wear a ring on my middle finger on my right hand. I need to have my ring on my finger. Um, I'll drink my Arizona energy drink every morning and I'll have either if I have like a breakfast sandwich or I, this new thing called egg in a cup, I have to have the same breakfast every day. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of a little weird stuff like that. Um, and then when I'm in the car, I just double check everything, you know, I'll, I'll put my gloves, like keep pulling them up on my hand and just, you know, tighten my seatbelts. But um, I just kind of try to be repetitive in what I do every day and just be consistent. So it's the same every day. Do you practice the tree before you go out or when you're good, you're good? Yep. So I practice my tree usually every day that I'm home. Um, I do about, I think 75 hits and I actually write them down in like a journal. Um, but once I leave to go to the race, I won't touch a practice tree. So that's dedication there. <laughs> yeah, it actually kind of started, um, a while back, this book came out called outliers. Um, and I think sometimes Luke Bagaki talks about it, but you should really be like 10,000 hours of practice will make you great at something. And a lot of people say that. So just like repetition. Um, and to be honest, you know, with racing in the Midwest and like the Northern part of the Midwest, you, you guys know it's cold, right? So we only get to race maybe four or five months out of the year. I made like this year, I'm only made, I think 63 passes. So, you know, that's not going to get me to 10,000 pretty quick. So if I could practice at home and just practice as much as I can, at least on the reaction time side of it, not like the driving side, um, maybe that will help help in the end. There's good news, Bobby. What, what is this? Episode five? Like we only have like what nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-five episodes left, and we'll get good at this. <laughs> I still don't know if we would be good at it by then. Brianna, do you use a full-size tree or do you use like a handheld when you practice? Um, I do have a full-size one, but I don't use that. It's pretty bright and blinding, so I just have, like, the tabletop version. <clears throat> do you block, or are you just good? You know, I tried. I never blocked in my car. Um, you know, from racing junior directors, I always kind of follow the tree down, um, so that's what I continue to do. And I hear a lot of people do block, but there's the downsides, you know, to racing at night. So I just tried on my practice straight at home a couple times, and I always anticipate it with red light. Um, so I just never wanted to try it, I guess, in my car. How many national events have you won? Um, I've won five. <clears throat> How many finals yeah, two, have you been in? Um, six. So I've won three in super gas, one in super stock, and one in stock. And then I runnered up in super comp at one of them. Nice. I'm still waiting for my first. How about you, Brian? Yeah, it might be a long wait, but that's okay. Every every round is a moral victory. <laughs> I gotta get a national before I ever stop this. What's your divisional record look like? Um, I think I have four of them. One in 
super comp two and super gas and one in super stock. And I think I run it up in stock in one, so. We'll, uh, stock too. <laughs> we'll just count the stock and the super stock since you got out of the pipe rack and you're driving a real car now, <laughs> we'll let you in with that. What do you think's easier to win in super comp or super stock? Oh, that's, that's a hard one. Um, so super comp, I never won. I just run it up at that one super gas. For some reason, the car I had really fit me. Um, I won actually quite a bit in that car and, but it's two different completely types of racing. In my opinion, like you have everyone in like super comp, super gas, I feel is almost on a real even playing field because you have the computers with the delay box and you have the throttle stops. So you're going to lose, you know, by you know, thousands of a second, maybe every time it kind of depends. Right. And I think there's more human error involved in stock and super stock because you're leaving with your feet and off a button. Um, but if you look at the races in stock and super stock, they can be extremely tight too, as well. So there's a lot of, I mean, I think both are extremely hard. I mean, if you think about it, like how people win and how often you're talking about national events. I mean, I went from 2009 to 2015 without winning one. You know, I mean, and there's people that go a long, long time without winning one. So I think it's just, you know, if it's your day, it's your day. Um, I think it depends, you know, on your car combination and just who, how the cards fall. You know, who are you going to line up against that day? So. Old Nitro Joe did say, I'm supposed to tell you, your old Super Gas Corvette won at St. Louis Divisional this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see that. It was kind of neat. I was, that car, so that was the one that I won, you know, quite a bit in and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I was in an accident with that in 2012. Um, second round of the divisional in Indy in April, I actually flipped over at about 165 miles an hour. So I'm, I slid upside down for about 800 feet too after hitting, you know, my opponent next to me. So after that, my dad, he goes, you know, we could fix it. It was just kind of like a front clip thing. And my chassis builder said we could fix it easily. And I said, you know, after that, I think I want something with the roof because when I flipped upside down, I slid and that pavement was maybe five, six inches from my head and I'm just dangling wow. from my seatbelts, you know? So it's kind of a, you know, scary experience. And after that, I'm like, you know, at least if I had a roof and like a windshield, I'd be a little bit more protected. Um, so kind of after that, I got away from um, driving a roadster, but then I got a dragster just for a little bit and then got back out of that. But um, when I, when we sold it to Alex, um, he fixed it. And then I think it was maybe two months after he was in an accident with it. And it was almost the same thing happened to it. So I don't know if like the brakes were locking up intermittently or the run or something happened, but, but he fixed it again. And then he won. So I don't, I don't know. I think after the first one, I would have just said, let it go. You know what I mean? But kept going for it. What was that like? Wow. Did you jump right back in again or did you take a little time off or? Nope. So that was probably actually the worst weekend I've probably ever had because that's when I had my black Pontiac Firebird and the first time run, I drive up on the scale and then I go to get off the scale and the car won't start. We'll come to find out my camshaft snapped in half and uh, apparently had missed heat treat. So the year before each lobe was wearing down. So there was metal everywhere and it just snapped. So I blew up that motor. And then, you know, later that weekend I crashed my super gas car. So I'm out of cars. And at the same time we're building my cobalt. So I didn't get to get in a car until two months after that. And it's kind of hard because the, you know, they say get right back up on the horse, you know, get back in it. But I didn't even have that opportunity. So by the time I actually got back in my cobalt, I was pretty nervous because no one ever drove the car. We didn't know if it was going to go straight. I had just crashed a car. So it was just, we, we broke a lot of stuff that, that weekend. Oh. 
Ooh, that's tough. I feel money just falling out of my wallet right now just listening to that story. <laughs> that one hurts. So do you do you run insurance on your race cars? Um, we do have insurance, but the insurance we have now, it's not on the track. It's just traveling in the trailer when it's parked um, or in the pits if someone wants to hit it. To me, that would almost be worse. Like, I can handle, you know, going down the road and trailer starts on fire or something, you know, happens like that. But, you know, when you're on the track, things happen, and you kind of expect to see it there, but I don't want to park my trailer, come back, and see the whole thing engulfed in flames. Or you just see – I see a lot of pictures like that on Facebook and social media now, and it just, like, how crushing. You know, you lose everything and have to start all over. I mean, it takes years to rebuild some of that stuff. Yep, no, I agree. I think insurance is definitely something everyone should have. Um, I think now there's a lot of insurance companies out there for people to choose from. So, I mean, it's a good a good thing to get for that. Did your uh, did your parents race, or how did you get started? Yeah, so my dad used to race. Um, he'd probably drive anything that had a motor on it. So he used to race kind of like dirt bikes and motorcycles, and then he got into drag racing. And he stopped racing, I think, when my parents had me. Um, but he used to run like run tough where you drive the car there. And then he used to just bracket race more old school. And he used to, he said he used to have a trans brake on a cord when he let go of the trans brake and just throw it in the back seat. So he was like really old school compared to the kind of the technology that we have today. But um, my dad's a mechanic by trade. So um, he's always been into cars. And uh, when I was eight, they came out with the, you know, a year or two prior to me turning eight, they came out with the junior drag racing league. So he bought me a car just to see if I was interested in it. And we went um, to Byron Dragway in Rockford. And the first time I went down, I think maybe I ran about 17 seconds in the eighth mile, you know, 45 miles an hour. And I came back and I, I loved it. I wanted to keep going. So we just never stopped since then. Did any people that you junior dragster with, did they, any of them continue on? Do you know, do you follow any of that? Did you have friends that you raced juniors with that have now moved on to? Yeah, there's actually um, a handful of us, I would say, um, like the ships, um, like Randy Lynn and Joey and Christy. Uh, I've raced with them since we were little kids. Um, the Lunds, Matt and Mike, um, I think, you know, Drew Whalen, my friend, my close friends from home, um, Joey Fusin, Chad Lamont, Amber Agan. I mean, we're all still involved in racing um, in one way or another. So um, there are quite a bit of us that continued on. And then there are obviously some of us that that have not, so. But then it's kind of neat because there's actually a lot of people that we race with across the country, you know, growing up. Um, you know, the one time I did race at Reading um, was for the Junior Dragster Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so you get to meet a lot of people from different states. And there's people that I still see today racing in different, you know, parts of the United States um, that run, you know, stock, super stock, top sportsmen. So, um, again, it's like a hand, only a handful of us, but um, they're still, still out there. What's it like being a woman in the lanes? Um, I mean, now I'm used to it. I guess you could say I'm probably like one of the guys. Um, you know, when you're younger, it's kind of interesting because you're racing. A lot of times it's older men, right? But then now I'm getting older. So now there's younger people under me that, you know, are more like kids to me. So um, I think drag racing, most of the people, if not all the people I've come across, they're very welcoming to women racers. Um, and I haven't really had maybe but two bad experiences with, um, you know, people being kind of rude about it. But Yeah, it's definitely, you don't see a lot of it. It's, uh, you know, we're like in the, I race mostly association races around here. And like you got Hannah Lyon and Trista Fenner, uh, Rochelle Tiber. I'm just trying to think of anybody else. You just, 
and they're all really darn pretty darn good i feel like it's just it's like that's one part of the sport that would really grow it's you know youth is one thing but the female side of it's definitely not as popular either yeah, I think a lot of women that race, you know, might be like me, you know, where you grow up with your your dad or your brothers, you know, doing it, or you, they have some relationship with cars in some form or another, um, kind of where you get that interest growing up. I mean, for a lot of women, you know, cars or getting dirty like that might not be of interest to them anymore. Um, and I guess cars in general for even, you know, guys, younger men, um, I think that I've seen that kind of change direction over the years. Um, and I don't know if it's because, you know, everything's like more technology based, they just want to play games or, you know, go a different direction. And now it's a lot of like, you know, electric kind of, uh, you know, scooters and bikes and all that kind of stuff that maybe that's just not interesting kids today. Um, so it's kind of a shame to see that go away. And you're a mechanical engineer by trade. Yes, that's correct. Do you do a lot of the work to your own car? Yeah. So my dad and I, we kind of each have our own roles, I guess. Um, my dad, like I said, is more old school and I have fuel injection. So I'll do all the programming for my car um, with the fuel injection and do the dialing with the weather. And then my dad, he'll do more of the maintenance side, you know, run the valves. He'll check my tires for me, line me up. So we kind of each have our own job when we go um, for race day. Um, that way we're kind of, you know, a smooth operation. We kind of know our part. Um, so we kind of flow really easily and then, you know, just work through the weekend that way. Do you run Holly or what management system do you run? Um, I have fast. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I can definitely second what Brina said about the younger generation um, not being into cars as much. I, I'm a math tutor by trade. I used to be a teacher, and I've been tutoring for the last nine years. And some of my students that are 16, 17, hardly any of them drive. And when we turned 16, like we couldn't – like we counted down the days. 16th birthday, boom, let's go get our – learner's permit and let's go get our license and let's get in a car like these kids today a lot of them don't really care they are connected to their friends they have their phones they have their technology like brina said so it's not you know cars are not like at the top of the list for today's youth now i think some people are even content not getting their driver's license right away like i could not wait to get my driver's license and i, and I find that some kids don't even have interest in in getting it until they're you know maybe even 18 years old What was your most memorable race? Um, I probably have two that come to mind. Um, there was one in Brainerd, Minnesota at the national event. I was in two national finals, one in super gas and one in, su in super comp. I won super gas and then I run it up in super comp. So it was just really cool because I think I was the first female to do that. Um, it would have been really neat to win both because then I would have been the first female to win. I don't think anyone has doubled up like that um, yet. But that was just real memorable of, you know, just doing that and just being to a national event final, you know, to start is memorable, but to have that um, happen. And then my second one, which I'll probably never forget, is um, in St. Louis in 2015, I was in the Super Stock final with Tommy Phillips. And I always wanted to meet Jesse James. And um, I'm like, one day I'm going to meet him because he was dating Alexis. And I'm in the final, I'm in my car strapped in, I'm under kind of like the tower area. And Alexis must have just run, and Jesse James comes walking back. He shakes my dad's hand, 
my dad turns around, gives me a thumbs up and Jesse walks right past my car. I'm in there strapped in with my helmet. I'm going like, no, I'm like, Jesse, like trying to yell, but I was just about to run the final. So I was totally like focused. And all of a sudden my focus just went right out the window. And luckily I won, you know, I won the race, but I'll never forget that he just walked right past me. And that was like one of the main things I always wanted to meet him, but <laughs> kind of stupid. Yeah. yeah hang on one hang second. Hang around I'll the of pits. That's I uh, I met Danny Trejo hanging around the DeJoria pits in Pomona one day. The actor, the guy who plays a bad guy and killed every single person he's ever been on screen with. That guy, really nice guy. Got a picture with him. That's pretty cool. Before he gets slit in, slit in the throat. He was in a movie <laughs> called Badass, I think. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen that one, but kind of hokey. He's in a lot of my he's in a lot of my favorites. Um, but I was I was super excited to, when she came back to racing funny car. Like she is huge for the sport. Uh, I love her dad. Like I really was up at her pits because I want to talk to her dad. Like he's he's one of my, you know, heroes. The guy is a self-made successful businessman. I want to learn from him. Yeah. So while everyone's asking her for an autograph, I'm like, uh, can I can I meet your dad? Where is he? Brina, what do you think about chasing people? Are you big on that? Rather oh. than being chased. Yeah, that was probably my pitfall, my pitfall this year. Um, so I go about nine forties to nine fifties in my cobalt. And I would say majority of the time I would be chasing. Um, but this year, I think every round I've lost was to somebody chasing me. Um, and me and my dad kept talking about maybe switching classes, just getting a different engine combination. Um, something that would put me, you know, maybe low nine seconds or even high eight, something that would allow me to chase more. Um, so throughout the year, I just kept trying to fine tune that and see if I could, you know, come up with different ways to, you know, win that round because that, I guess that's my weak spot. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big oh, fan of, yeah. I think the fast car is the way to go. I've been telling me and Brian and I like argue about this all the time, which does lead me to one thing that I do want to mention. We had three true start moments at the Vegas Division 7 event and the Vegas Sports Nationals. So let me go over those real quick. In stock first round, Bill Cremo was negative 159 red, and he got the win over John Gray, who was negative 024. Um, at the Sports Nationals, we had in first round of stock, Mark Kirby was negative 500. So he left before, I guess, before the third yellow came on. But Derek Elam in a W stock automatic car was negative 041. So poor, poor Derek got the loss. And Stephen Hagberg in A stock automatic was 025 red. And he got the win over Rich Ariadne in an F stock automatic who was 009 red. So, Brina, do you have any thoughts on True Start? Because Brian hates True Start. I love True Start and I want to know what you think. I think it depends on which side of that you're on, <laughs> um, whether or not it's going to benefit you. I could see times where I would have needed it and other times where I probably wouldn't have. So um, I, I don't know. I, logically, it makes sense, you know, um, but it's, it hasn't been like that for years and years. So it's just kind of a, I guess, a new thing for people to get used to. I'm the slow car. I'm all for it. You got my, there's my vote. Push, where's the button? Do I push space bar? Boom. You can swipe left, Bob. Swipe left. What, uh, what other rules? I mean, is that something most tracks, a lot of tracks do have true start and acted, right? 
uh, it's in bracket racing now at my home track and at the race I just uh, the foot break 10k and 20k race I ran a couple weeks ago they had it so yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah the races I've been to lately have not had it but um, like that was one situation where I probably could have used it I left first and I think I was double one red and he left behind me at double three you know so it was like one of those situations that could have probably benefited me but um I don't think I've been at a race that has had that yet it's weird because your green light comes on all the time so you leave the starting line your green's on and let's think about it when you go red and your green comes on you are so happy you're like I just murdered the tree and then after the other guy leaves his wind light comes on and you're like, what the heck just happened? I was green. How did his wind light already come on? I don't, it doesn't even have to go that far. All I'm saying is don't have to show me the, show me my red. I know I went red. That's fine. Bring the blocker down, cover the other guy's red light. Why is the other guy's red light not covered by that blocker? It's so annoying. Just bring that thing down. If I leave and I'm red, that's fine. If that guy can see my red light from where he is, as his lights are coming down, more power to him. He's a great driver. But uh, at least the, the spectators that would be there and you as the driver would know that you went red. Um, and then when he leaves, no wind lights until both cars have left. Boom. That's it. Shouldn't be that mm -hmm. difficult. I think it should be there. I think it's more fair. The fast car has every advantage in the book. Why can't we just make the starting line fair? Would you say that's one thing you would like to see changed in NHRA then? True start at every track? <laughs> Yes, swipe right on that one. <laughs> Darn, I'm only allowed one rule change today. <laughs> only one rule to change use it on true. I have to use it on true start. I guess that's good enough. I suppose with a slow Mustang, the next thing you're going to want is to be able to deep stage. I could never <laughs> do that. that. Everybody always told me when I was bracket racing, you got to deep stage, got to deep stage. And I, I, I couldn't do it. Like, I would go red every time. I don't even know if I was getting in the same exact spot. Like, the lights are coming down. I'm still trying to bump in. I'm on like my 45th bump and the lights are, it's not deep and the lights are coming down. If we so. take, if we take Brino's advice and just actually practice the practice tree, you'd have a better reaction time. You won't have to get so deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I have Scott Jeffrey on pro stock racer. His family actually gave me his simul Jerry Haas built simulator full tree. I have all the equipment. I just still, you know, suck. So it's I okay. should the be world, so much. I should be so much better. <laughs> the world needs math tutors too, so it's good that you're not right? that good at racing. No, I'm a much better. T I should just be a tuner. Like I just want to join someone's crew. Like here, let me handle all the computer stuff. Uh, let me put you in a spot on the ladder. Let me just like pick your dial in, and you do the. You handle the stress and anxiety of launching your car off the starting line, and I'll do the rest. And we would probably win a world championship. Does anybody want to take me up on that? Do you know how to cook? I'd maybe consider bringing you on the crew. I can bring eggs and bacon in the morning, and other than that, and steaks and some hot dogs and burgers. But no, other than that, I'll hey, Bobby could be the cheerleader. It's... <laughs> that was too good at that. That was producer Craig. If everybody else listening, thanks, you wanna... Craig. Where'd that fourth voice come from? Here, do you want to put together a podcast? Because you got this crazy idea, you just want to ramble on. Like, give Craig a call at the Y Millbank Studio, and he can try to make you sound good, even if you don't. I will be cheering you on from the starting line, though. <laughs> the I'm one of those people that when you leave the starting line and the other guy breaks, I'm at the starting line 
like you're like you're watching me in the review saying, slow down, stop, you know. Did you ever see that guy on the starting line, your crew guy, that's like telling you to slow down and stop when, when your opponent's broke because you think that your driver can see you? <clears throat> I have my friends at home. They watch me on D3 TV, and I needed them to tell me to stop a couple times when I was, you know, too far ahead of the other guy. Hit the brakes harder <laughs> or, like, you know, <laughs> let off the gas. <laughs> they were screaming at it one time, but obviously can't hear them. I had an instance like that at a race, a divisional race for watching in a – guy that he's always there you know typically first or second round they they can do pretty good but just never quite get gets the break and he went against probably one of the baddest guys with the most runs at our races and they kind of start pulling up to stage and they start doing this whole starting starting lane duel and he'll just mess with you like make you go in first i'm like don't you move don't you move you make him stage first don't do it and i'm like like he could really hear me but i was yelling at the top of my lungs and i felt better because of it <laughs> Oh boy. The staging thing, I've never want to overthink that, but I've never cared first or second. It's never something that I that I even like really think about. How about you, Brina? Are you like a first you like to be first or second when staging? No, um, it doesn't really bother me. I just kinda go do my thing and when I'm ready, you know, I'll just make sure they're close to the the beams or whatever and I'll just go in first um and then wait for them. And, you know, but sometimes they get there before I do, so I guess it, it really doesn't matter to me just whenever I'm ready. That's weird with as superstitious as you are. Like, I thought that would be like a big thing. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, I don't know. There's some things I guess I care more about than others, but not that. Do you have a favorite lane choice? Um, yeah, so this is kind of interesting in a way. I used to always run the right lane, and I think people would catch on to that. And that was more when I ran super gas and super comp. Um, but that was because in the left lane, my range of motion in my neck was less. Um, I was in an accident in eighth grade and then um, obviously after flipping that Corvette. So it was just harder for me to look to see the people coming from the right lane. Um, but I go to the chiropractor quite a bit now and my range of motion has increased. So actually now I almost prefer the left in some situations, but it depends if I'm being chased or the chaser, I will switch lanes uh, depending on that situation. How about you, Bobby? When you're slow, does the lane matter? Uh, yeah, you want to be in the left lane because you can easily turn and look at the other guy. But I hit the tree better in the right lane. So I'm pretty much like, how do I want to lose on the starting line or at the finish line? <laughs> I I kind of like the right lane. I don't know. I kind of switched this year to the left lane. It's, I don't know what I'm doing. So either way, it just seems like there's an equal amount of opportunity to mess up. Typically, this year I've been losing everything at the end. So I just got to figure that out. I find it comical, though. Some guys are so, like, you go up there and pair up. They come over with their coin, like, what lane do you want? Let's flip. I'm like, I really don't give a sh This is PG, right? I don't really care, sir. Um, you can have whatever lane you want. And then, at, then sometimes they're like, what? <laughs> like, so maybe I should start taking the lane choice more seriously. What, um, what I find amusing is the guy when it turns into, like, the whole who's on second thing, right? Like. You're like, well, what lane do you want? I don't know what lane do you want. Well, it it doesn't matter to me what lane do you want. Well, I want left. Oh, well, we better flip for it then. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't really care. It's like I said, either lane doesn't make much of a difference. I try to just get good in both because at some point you're going to the lane you don't want to. So to me, it's more about just getting trying to get comfortable in each one and not letting that part of the mental game get in your head or stick. Like, oh crap, I really wanted this lane. I 
I had an instance the last race I went to in Kearney where I spun in the left lane and then went to the right lane and I hooked, but I really wanted the left lane. And it's like, you know, I think you can just get too much in your head. Like, oh man, I spun last time. I don't want to do that again. Like there's a million other ways to screw up. Like that one, it really doesn't matter because sometimes you don't get to choose. Right, or if there's something weird going on. Like at the Maple Grove Divisional three weeks ago, every single person in the right lane was red red lighting. So obviously there was a, a rollout problem. So then at that point, yeah, you don't want that the right lane. That That's where you try to... Now I'll flip the guy and see if we can change this up. Our local track here at Thunder Valley has a problem at night. On Saturday, I always race in the dark. And uh, when the sun comes down like 6, 7 o'clock, you cannot see any of the bulbs. And I think the uh, I think the right lane's better at that time. Like the left lane seems to be a little nastier, just the way the tracks laid in there. But and the, their lanes are both off. I mean, they're it's always pretty consistent. But the right lane's always a little different than the left lane. But that's you can work with that. There's a lane in the morning at Gainesville too that where the sun just. Face. I who did I have to race? I think like Jimmy Hidalgo or something. And I was like, "What lane do you want? Do you want the sun in your eyes?" I was like, oh, "I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about yet." Until I got up there, and I was like, "Oh crap!" And I was like, "Put the messing with the visor and stuff after the burnout." And I was like, "What am I gonna do right now?" <clears throat> so, is there any? What was the one rule you'd like to see change, Sabrina? Um. Well, I was thinking about that when you had asked me that question, and. I actually came across it at St. Louis at the double divisional. Um, they had posted a ladder. I think it was for stock. And um, I seen these two guys getting ready for a heads up, right? Well, then they called that there was a ladder change that you would find out who you had when you drove up. So these guys just went through and got their cars all hopped up for a heads up, only to find out that they didn't have a heads up, right? It was with somebody else. So I think my rule would be that if they had that or vice versa, where if you didn't have a heads up, you get up there and you have a heads up that they should just turn it into um, a handicap race at that point because you did not have the opportunity to get ready. Um, and then if they did change the ladder from a heads up, move that class to the back so those people could put their cars back to normal uh, to give them a good opportunity to dial the car. Um, obviously, it's probably a little bit harder when you change the oil and tires and all that to, to actually you know know what you're doing. Yeah, that would be a that'd be an interesting one. I had a race like that. Uh, I typically like last year I ran B pretty much all year. This year I went to A just to try to avoid a couple really fast B cars. And there's one guy that I almost always run into, and he's got a challenger. They've got it running pretty good, and I just I can't keep up with them. So I've been trying to run A instead of switching weight and messing around. I'm like I'm just gonna pick one class, and this is what I'm gonna stick with. And we uh, I don't I never saw the ladder, so I didn't really realize what was going on, and then. I pull up and, oh, okay, I've got him first round. He walks up. He's like, well, how do you want to do it? Do you guys want to dial the same or like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, it's heads up. I'm like, I'm an A. And his face just kind of went white, like, oh, crap. You know, he thought it was a heads up race. Also, now, like, what are we going to dial? But I typically know, I pick my dial pretty much when I come back and how the car ran. I'm like, all right, this is what I think it'll run next time. Double check the weather, but I don't really play many games that way so it really didn't bother me i knew what my dial was and you could just tell it was kind of like the look of panic crap i thought we had heads up now i got to figure out how to dial this i don't think they had their car hopped up but it just really threw a wrench in the whole thing 
Yeah, I had that one year at Indy. Um, I think I had just gotten in stock as a, like an alternate and I ended up having a heads up and I knew who I had, you know, I knew I had the heads up, but he didn't. So I think it was this kid come over and he was looking and he was going to ask me what lane I wanted. And then he looked at my car and he goes, Oh crap. And then he just like runs back to his dad and like his dad's car is like really fast. So they went in and just changed something in the program real quick. So I don't think I had, a, you know, a chance in hell to win that one, but it's like situations like that. If you're not really paying close attention, you might, you might miss it. That's probably the one thing I'd like to see change. You know, there's a million, a million different rules and stuff, but I, I was thinking about it. Like the whole grade point thing. That's a little frustrating to me. Like I'd love to race Brainerd. Typically, you know, I can get like last year, I think I got four or five grade points. So the odds of getting into Brainerd aren't very good. Like, I think they should keep maybe say, keep five of the, or allow five other spots. So you're only going to let 60 in, but let 65 at least sign up and come and try to qualify to make the field and make those five spots like at the very end, like two days before the race or whatever, where you could try to get a chance in there, kind of a last minute thing just to help open the opportunity for other people that don't have six grade points. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like if you think about Brainerd, there's more stock racers up there than say super stock. So I want to say super stock rarely gets filled. So why not take those empty spots and put them over? you know, to stock, to give more people a chance to come in. And I mean, I don't understand either. They used to run 80 cars at nationals or, you know, maybe even a hundred, you know, way back when, and then it was 80, then it was like 65. Now it's like 50 sometimes. So it, they keep, de you know, declining or decreasing them, but it still takes the same amount of time, or it could be the same amount of rounds, you know, with more cars, if they let more people in. Yeah, it would really be, it'll be interesting, you know, going and seeing what the season looks like for 2021, right? Like, many races are there are the pros going to be running you know just what is there for opportunity you think nhra and camping world do you think would dive into how do we get more entries like especially when you get them i mean you can run these races pretty efficient there's some tracks that always kind of struggle to get through the schedule but there's other ones that you know if you keep things moving you can get through the cars pretty fast and from the business sense why would you not want more cars like i said at least make them qualify if you can qualify and make the field a 60 that's great let 70 in take the top 60 yeah, and half the time on Sunday, I mean, they don't run till maybe 10, 30, 11 anyway. Yeah. So get up and run from 8 to 11 and knock a couple more rounds out at that time. Yeah, I think there should be three rounds on Sunday at least. Three rounds Saturday, three rounds Sunday, qualify on Friday. I don't understand why we can't do that. 64 cars. 64 cars is a six-round race. 65 cars is a seven-round race. Take 70, take 80. Qualify 64. Make it a performance-based class again. You're taking 50 cars. There's never any heads-up runs. It's an all-run situation. It just kind of takes the uh, the fun out of that aspect, if you ask me. I mean, we, on top of that, I, I was proposing you should have like an average or some kind of percentage system. We get 128 stockers at the Maple Grove Divisional, and then they take 50 stockers for the Maple Grove National. Why don't you take however many came to the divisional in each category, multiply it by like 80% or something and come up with your quotas that way because the Maple Grove national event stock fills up at like grade seven. And that's the end of that. And then what I, what I heard was, you know, stock fills up at grade seven. Fine. There's, there's 50 cars entered. Well, on the Monday before the race, two guys drop out and we end up with 48. Now I heard NHRA looks at that and says, Oh, only 48 cars entered. We should only take 45 next year. So that I think has 
may have, unless that was just a rumor, contributed to the decrease in the classes each year. People withdrawing from the event the Monday before the event and other racers not seeing that and not snagging those spots. So I just, uh, I'm wondering if, if that's what it, one of the issues is with the low car counts. Well, Jim Shocker had a good point. He's like, you should have preference for cars in that host division. And that, that's an interesting idea. You know, have each, you know, leave five spots that have priority for that division. Should be able to maybe get in with a grade point lower or something. I would be all for that. Right. And sometimes with, I think with your combo, Brian, like some people who don't have enough grade points to get in stock will then just enter like super stock K automatic and go run super stock with your car. And then they're, you know, they were taking a spot from a a guy or gal that was trying to get in super stock. So well, that was, that was my intention for Brainerd this year. It was going to happen. I've never been to a national event, so it's close enough. It's like, I want to go do it. Just make the experience. But boy, unfortunately I better start practicing on the tree. Cause I don't know if I want to be against Brina on super stock with oh. my slow car. Jeez. <laughs> And not with her putting in 10,000 hours of practice either. Oh, I don't think it's that much. <laughs> I'm trying, but. I'm only 9,800 away. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's see here. I wanted to look at a couple more interesting. You know what? We have been totally neglecting Factory Stock Showdown. I apologize to all the Factory Stock Showdown fans out there, but Aaron Stanfield took the win. Over David Barton down in Houston, um, 787 at 174 miles an hour over David Barton's 790 at 175 miles an hour. So that was a close race, 12 thousandths margin of victory. I have no idea what's going on in Factor Stock. I haven't been paying attention to it this year. Uh, where'd all the Cobra Jets go? Why aren't there any? I think what Kevin Skinner is the only one that's been showing up lately. Is that, um, is that I, why you quit following it? I think so. I heard a rumor that the Cobra Jets are kind of boycotting right now because NHRA uh, put some what more strict rules on them, pulley sizes, maybe weight break. I'm not sure. So they're all running NMCA or NMRA right now. That's an interesting thing. Brina, have you ever run any of those other? Do you have any desire to ever run like a big money bracket race or any of the NMCA, any of the other class stuff? Um. I don't know. We've been kind of talking about it because uh, the, the big thing lately in my house was the payout I got from uh, getting to the semis at a divisional. Um, I went five rounds, so I lost to four cars and I got $200. And we spent four days in Bowling Green and then had to go to St. Louis, so I got $200 from all that time. And uh, it's like you, you think about it, and it's been this way every single year, and we complain about it every single year, but it's like, you know, should we go big money bracket racing, sell our car and get a dragster, or get a different kind of car? Or go NMCA, NMCA, NMRA racing, you know, if there's more money there, see what that's like. But um, I think the truth is, you know, we talk about it so much and we just go back to kind of what we know because we do enjoy it that much. Um, maybe we're all really stupid, but um, it, it's been brought up, but we don't make any um, advancements on it. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where misery loves company. Um, I, I don't feel like me, the association race thing is just hands down, just like I said, it's probably the best bang for the buck. It's less travel time. I don't have to worry about trying to track or get enough grade points to be able to enter. I mean, there's a lot of different things. And at the end of the day, there's kind of a balance too. Like, yeah, I'd love to race every day, but unfortunately my wife and kids won't think that's very cool. And, you know, it's just balancing everything and trying to figure in the distance and what makes sense. I mean, that's what plays most of it into me. 
Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of round money. Division one did raise their payouts this year, but still, I mean, you're raised, you're paying entering at 200 bucks to win 2000 and is top heavy for sure. Uh, to get 200 bucks to finish in the semis, that's that's not going to do it. Okay, we need some more round money. These payouts need to be raised. This is a joke. They've been this, they've been so low for so long. And actually, you made more money back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and into the mid 2000s, probably when you won a national or a divisional. And now, oh, who knows what's going to happen with sticker money after this year? So NHRA needs to step up. And it's a disaster what they did to the pro classes too. The way they cut their their payouts, like I don't know if anybody read that article um, or that interview that that Freeman um, talked about how how terrible that was for the pro teams. Those those pay payout cuts. But so is the assumption, Bobby, on. that um, there just isn't the money available to pay out, or are they just putting it elsewhere? I would think they're putting it elsewhere because there's still a lot of people racing, still paying their entry fees, membership fees, competition number fees. I guess it's a question of where the money goes. Now, I know the tracks are hurting, and I do love to see a divisional happen at a track where a lot of racers show up, and hopefully that's helping keep that track in business. Um, I don't totally understand where the payout money comes from, if it's from the track, if it's from NHRA. So maybe it's something I shouldn't speak on because I'm being ignorant right now, but Call I up Camping World, see what happens. Yeah, I want to. I want to know. This is something that I'm going <laughs> to devote some time to. I want to know exactly, you know, where the money actually comes for the payout and why NHRA had to cut the pro after all these years of breaking in money. Why this year they had a slower year? They had to cut those payouts as as harshly as they did. Well, and really the tracks, like how many of them are actually that impacted by it? You know. Like, if you have a divisional, how much money does the track actually get of that? They have to pay so much to get a divisional race, right? Like, at the end of the day, is that kind of like a net wash? I don't know. I don't even know if they pay to get the divisional, if that's how that works. Um, a national event, I thought the track got to keep all concession money and half of the ticket spectator money. I don't know about the uh, competition money. I would think that goes to NHRA. And then contingency, how, how contingency works. I believe whoever is the sponsor that wants to pay racers also has to pay NHRA or whatever they don't pay out has to go to NHRA. As far as I know, that's how that works. Anybody wants to correct me on Facebook Live or anywhere, email, please correct me because I want to know that I'm you know, speaking the truth here. Oh, wow, that was fast. We have uh, payouts for divisional races come from the pay-ins at the gate by the track and the nhra takes a percentage of that more than 200 bucks for us and so yeah who knows i guess if we can figure out that we can we'll have it all figured out well that was probably i guess brina do you have any sponsors or anybody you want to thank to our many many listeners Hi. I just want to thank my parents. Um, a lot of people probably don't know. I do have a mother. Um, they never see her at the racetrack because she stays at home to work my dad's business. Um, he owns auto repair shops, so she'll stay and work when me and my dad go, and uh, she packs us with all sorts of good food. So I just want to thank my mom, and then obviously my dad. Um, I guess my parents are my sponsor, um, along with any money I can contribute. So 
um, without them, I wouldn't have been able to do this as long as I have been, um, you know, since I was eight years old and they've dedicated so much time to me. So um, they're the biggest ones. And then just, uh, you know, big thanks to my engine builder, um, Mike Foucher from Factory Billet Power. Um, my motor ran amazing this year, very consistent. Um, and it actually had some issues with other builders over the past couple of years that so stayed together the whole year with no problem. So um, just big thanks to him too. Awesome. Well, we thank Kevin. Got some feedback. Sorry about that. We uh, like to thank you for coming on. Like I said, it's always interesting, just different perspectives. You know, obviously we're not the, uh, probably the most polished podcast on the interweb, but I like just keeping it, keeping it frank, you know, keep a general conversation. Like I said, I like the feedback from all the Facebook listeners. That's been awesome. Um, I just want to appreciate you guys. It's kind of crazy. The feedback we've been getting, like we do appreciate all the positive comments and if you guys got stuff, you know, I like being able to feed in the Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, <laughs> Facebook live has been good for, uh, just comments and questions, you know, and that's really what this is about is like, how do you educate more people about class racing, get more people involved and just talk about some of the topics. I mean, it's been a lot of fun. I would like to, if you go ahead, if you like what you're listening to, go ahead and subscribe, um, go to YML bank class racing today. Uh, and go ahead if you're on apple device go ahead leave a review give us a rating um that's how you guys can help us out and we really appreciate everybody putting up with some of these technical difficulties and getting everything polished out and it's been a lot of fun so just like to thank everybody for that and thanks for coming on brina yeah no thank you guys i really appreciate you uh thinking of me to be on your you know on your podcast and i don't think you guys need ten thousand hours of time i think it's great what you're doing i don't think it should be polished it should kind of be you know relaxed where you have that conversation going so um i think it's great too what you're doing talking to you know class racers or sportsman drivers because i think a lot of the attention is not really on us anymore so it's kind of neat to learn more about different people that race that you don't necessarily know yeah absolutely it's been a great been a great time and like i said thank you for coming on and i guess for everybody out there that's racing this weekend keep your lights green and the the stripes tight and hopefully you got a good weekend All right. Thank you guys, everybody, for joining us. So one last thing. Practice as much as Brina. <laughs> and <laughs> Brina practices more than us. She has better cars than us. And Brian and I are SOL. Uh, thank you, Brina, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Bobby. <laughs>